Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on! From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Nation of Junkies? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Sunday night for your Monday delivery. Excited to talk with you for the next hour or so as we discuss UFC 280, which took place this past Saturday in Abu Dhabi. Stacked card, maybe the most stacked card on paper. We'll talk about how it played out. Not on paper. Also, got a glance over one on Prime 3. Lineker one on Prime Video 3, Lineker versus Andrage, because we did have a title fight, supposedly. That was the plan. And, yeah, of course, the latest news. A lot of stuff came out of UFC 280. A lot of news broke in the last 72 hours. So we'll go over all of that, and it's going to be a fun time here. Buckle up, uh, Junkie Nation. Just seeing the Astros celebrate goes as I'm doing the show here. Just still kind of rubs me the wrong way for anyone that's left over from that from that team. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. <laughs> they eliminated. They swept the Yankees, though. That's impressive. That's two games on their home turf. Their little turf. Yeah. Anyway. Here we go, folks. So uh, let's get right into it. UFC 280 took place this past Saturday night in Abu Dhabi. Two title fights, a lot of great fights featuring ranked fighters. And it was a great time. We had a watch along on Saturday. For those of you that joined us, thank you so much for hanging out with us. John Orlando was with us for most of it. Eric Nixick stopped by for a couple fights. So all in all, at the Sticky Paws Studio, great times. And a big shout-out again to Sticky Paws Studio, specifically producer Austin. All right, so let's start at the top, goes. Islam Makashev is the new UFC undisputed lightweight champion. He defeated Charles Oliveira, submitted him in the second round. That's right, you heard it. He submitted Charles Oliveira, the owner of the most submissions in the UFC. But uh, stuff like this goes down, man. Uh, it goes down, and... So here we have it. Uh, Islam Makashev, even though he hadn't fought top five, top three competition, he went straight into the title fight. And that was kind of what was really holding him back, although he did have a nice win streak to back it up. Boy, he showed everything of what we were told by Javier Mendez, Habib Nurmagomedov, and maybe even the early promises by uh, Abubakar Nurmagomedov, the late Mr. Nurmagomedov, Habib's father. Yeah, that performance, um, what what impressed me the most and what I think made him successful in that fight was his patience. 
I think some of the guys that fought Oliveira before were just too uh, too aggressive, too much to try and get in there and make their point. And I feel like he just kind of took his time, looked for the right spots. And when he had his openings, he made them count. And he wasn't afraid to go to the ground with Oliveira as well. You know, um, he had that nice little hip toss. And then to be able to uh, to even think of trying to submit Charles Oliveira when maybe he could have just sat in that position and just landed some strikes, scored some points. He actually put his foot on the gas at the right ta- time. And I thought that was uh, pretty impressive of him, man. Charles Oliveira is no joke. We've seen what he's done to to his opponents. I wouldn't say this is one of those situations where you go, hey, Charles Oliveira broke. I just think the better man won that night. I would agree with all that. And so, first of all, let me correct myself. Abubakar Nurmagomedov is the middleweight that's a cousin of Habib that fought on Saturday twice because he also (laughs) fought. Uh, Hamza Shemaev in the stands, although apparently that bad blood's been cleaned up and cleared up. Abdul Manap is uh, Habib's dad. So respect to you, father. And he's the one that said that Islam Makashev, along with his son, would both be world champions. And he's called it so far. And so, yeah, you know, there was one time where Makashev, if I'm really, really picking on him, you know, he kind of like, there was there was some setups from Oliveira on his back, you know whether it was the triangle or the elbows to the back or to to his head from the bottom. Uh, so triangle or armbar setups that never really came close, but they were there. I think Islam Makashev, you know, he had to think twice and he had to be patient and calm, and then do the right tactics to either be both arms in or get out. But it didn't deter him. You know how many times have you seen a fighter? kind of go down that road with somebody who's noted on the ground. And then it's like, uh, 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 no, get up. We're going to stand or we're just going to avoid the ground. Let's go. No, he was willing to go back down and engage because even though he knew it's dangerous, an MMA fight's dangerous. An MMA fight with not just Charles Oliveira, but anyone's dangerous for the most part. So he decided to just do his thing and, you know, work from the top like he always does, ground and pound. And if the nail opening's there, it's there. He went for that arm triangle, and the first time it wasn't there, but then he went for it again, and right away Oliveira tapped. Did he break? Probably not. But I think Oliveira also knew, boy, this is another animal here because, as we've noted in the pre-fight, he's been knocked down a lot. His chin gets buzzed, and so you can look at it two ways: a, he's got a good chin because most people that get buzzed like that would be out. Uh, so, or, or, or B, he doesn't have a good chin because some people take those shots and don't fall back. You know, they're Mm -hmm. still standing in front of you, but when you're winning and you're winning titles, then we tend to side with his chin's great, you know, but I always knew something's not right. Like he's getting knocked down. Uh, there's something there. Now there were times when Makashev would throw some nice strikes and there were times where the way he was swinging his arms looked really, really average. So I thought if if Charles Oliveira can just avoid the ground and just stand, I think the cleaner strikes will come into play at some point. But it seemed like Charles Oliveira was doing everything possible goes to make it easy for the fight to be engaged in closed quarters and for him to wind up yet again being mauled against the cage or just put on his back. So he had like a really lazy standing 
knee, you know, jumping knee, um, kicks that weren't really too threatening. I think I remember a couple calf kicks that that were pretty nice. I hope I'm not getting the fights mixed up, but there, there, there just wasn't really much going on. And you know, halfway through the fight goes, I did a thought did go through my head. It was that picture of like. 20 or 30 Brazilians standing over him. And it looked like they were praying for somebody who was in a coma. But what had happened, he had, just, he had just had that weight cut. And so I maybe like maybe it was really serious or it was just kidding to the end. You know, I could be making something out of nothing. I don't know. But I did think to that and just go, wow, I wonder if this was rough. Now, I was following this thing pretty good because I'm a little bit of a night owl over here on the Pacific time zone. So there was times where like 10 p.m., 11 p.m., 12 a.m., I was seeing stuff either on our on our group chat, the junkie group chat, or just stuff on social media that was saying he's doing fine. He's already made weight. He's ahead of the schedule. He'll be fine. And to his credit, he came in at 154.5. So it is on Makashev. So that part did hold up. But I did see that picture, you know. It just looked like uh, I've never seen one like that, like um, unless someone's like in a precarious situation. Uh, and then, he, and then, so as the fight was unfolding and he was looking flat, I was thinking, hmm, I wonder if that was it. I uh, had a similar thing, but it was over the lion that he was walking. All I could think of was, man, if the shoe was on the other foot. I think Islam Makachev would say, fool, I ain't got no time to be walking lions. I got a title fight coming up. Maybe I'll yeah. do that shit afterwards. But right now, I got a fight. You don't ask me to walk no lions. That's exactly. what I feel like a champion's mentality is like. And that's us nitpicking, man, really. Uh, but maybe we're not. Thinking, huh? Maybe we're not. Maybe we're not. Maybe all those things add up. Maybe. Okay, here's another thing. Maybe having 20-some or 30-some people with you everywhere Maybe that's a stress in itself. A lot of fighters just isolate themselves. You know, they they really segregate, and it's maybe a group of five, ten max or something. That includes your really, really close family. I remember uh, Anderson Silva, when he would have those open workouts, man, and he would just bust in with, like, 30 people and Steven Seagal and Ronaldo, the soccer player, you know, and so each event became bigger and bigger, and that's why I think Anderson – was clowning so much in that Chris Weidman fight. You know, they talk about these guys being artists, painting on a canvas, right? And so each time they want to do something so grand because their star is shining so bright, and then somewhere along the lines, you just lose focus um, of what you're in. It's just me against him, you know? This isn't like the Super Bowl, the World Cup. There's no halftime show. There's, there's no parades per se, like maybe after when it's all done. Sure. But until then, dude, it's got to be like Apollo's gym or, or or the one in L.A., you know, the one that Apollo trained Rocky in mm-hmm. something like that. Nitty and gritty and dirty and smelly and all distractions off to the side. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree that that's just how you have to do it. That's what makes these guys so tough. When you think about Islam, when you think of Habib, those are attributes that both those guys had. I feel like if you were to go on Islam's uh, Instagram or whatever, you're not going to see him take a week to go on to Six Flags or play a little roulette or anything like that. Like He'll probably be back in the gym on Monday because that's just what they're conditioned to do. And uh, that's very, very unique because he's going to be cashing some really big checks. 
And I, and he just doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to get out of hand or anything like that. So I expect all this momentum to just continue on to the next guy. I'm going to look at Insta- at Instagram right now because I don't want to talk out of my ass either. Islam Makashev, holy cow, he's already up to 4.9 million followers. Is he at Six Flags? No, he's not at Six Flags. And oh. guess what else goes? What? I don't really see like expensive bling bling on him. All of his pictures are him, his team, his sponsors. He's got a white t-shirt, a gray t-shirt. Um, I don't see like expensive cars, jewelry. Like, and what I'm getting at is distractions. Mm-hmm. It's only like the maybe 15th post down, and that's him wearing the traditional Muslim gear or mm-hmm. attire or whatever you want to call it. So, heck, even them, he actually is with two guys that are doing it, not even him. But for the most part, training, training, training. In one little thing here, he's playing basketball. It's funny because I think they call it Dagestani basketball. Um, Been trying to figure out what the hell it is. Uh, I don't even see Hasbula in here yet. Uh, I I don't know. I just see, again, again, someone that isn't as distracted. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, but anyway. Uh. For Oliveira, that that huge, huge entourage, the walking the lion, and and I like it when the fighters do look slick. Don't get me wrong, but I I don't think every day has to be a fashion statement, and that's what I'm hearing is they hire these um, people that will help you, pretty much dress you every day. Every time you walk out of your hotel room, it, it is some sort of a statement. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think every single time you're doing that, you may be even just taking time away from resting. Maybe you can sneak in a two-hour nap instead of going and picking out outfits. Yeah. Um, Volkanovsky reminds me a little bit of that as well. Yeah. He's just kind of a jeans and T-shirt guy. Um, he just, you know you get an honest camp out of that guy every single time. It's just that champ mentality. You know, we were talking about this on the last show. I think about GSP. That's that's the mentality you have to have. Exactly. Anyway, congrats to Islam Makashev. I still think Oliveira had one hell of a resurgence. He didn't get completely knocked out. He didn't get completely uh, removed from consciousness from the submission or anything. I think he can live to fight another day, and who knows? Maybe he'll be right back there. Immediately, here's the other thing. When they interviewed him, he said, no, that wasn't me. Uh, And then he goes, Dana Hunter, I've done some favors for the company. I I want to run it back in Brazil. And I was just thinking on. (laughs) Without sounding sounding too disrespectful, in my mind, I was going fool. That train fucking left. These guys are already making plans for Perth, Australia. It's what the UFC does. The matchmakers, Hunter Campbell, Dana White. It's convenient for them, sure. But because they owe you one, no. It's got they may owe you one, and that may coincide with you know it works out for them as well, and they can pay off a favor. But they just seem laser focused now on. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Islam Makashev. So him thinking he might get something in Brazil. No, he's going to have to fight somebody. He's, he's not going to get an immediate rematch. Unless we're talking about something else. I thought he asked for another fight, a fight right away. Um, 
I know he promised when he was doing the interview, he said he promised he would be champ again. But I thought he just said, I just want to fight again. So oh, get me a fight. You don't have to ask for that favor. Yeah, they can grant that one. I thought he was asking for, like, let's run it back. Well, he might have said that in another interview or something. But I thought in the cage, I thought he just said, I just want to fight. Like, I just want to get back in here and do this. Because mm-hmm. you're right. He, the, you know, I don't care what kind of favor you did. Uh, you're just not getting that wish. Yeah. You know, they brought Volkanovski into the cage, a fight that makes no sense to me. But whatever. Uh, you can tell what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, from Islam Makashev's point of view, you know, he'll get his pay-per-view cuts now against Volkanovski, who's, you know, slowly becoming a more popular fighter. Could he get more pay-per-view points against Poirier or McGregor, of course? Yes, but as we found out from McGregor, or through Dana, courtesy of our Fada Hanun asking and confirming, he still has to jump in the pool for six months before he can take a fight. That means... That if Conor McGregor tonight decided, yeah, you saw it, I'm back in. Well, count six months from today. So what's that? April 23rd before he could fight again. Um, he says. Uh, he says Islam. Islam and Volkanovski will sell two pay per view buys or something like that, right? He was kind of vocal on Twitter this weekend. I do get a kick out of him. I don't always like him raining on parades, but once he does, and I read it, I, he makes me chuckle. They all make me chuckle, man. All of them do, honestly. Ali, Connor, Jones. I just wish they wouldn't do it and allow the fighters to have their moments, especially when they're actually trying to say it, like, nice fight, boys. Then leave it at that. At least mm-hmm. give it 24 hours and then go, all right, moving on. Um, I'm the man. Huh? huh, everybody. You know, and then start with that and start laying out, you know, ways in which you can get in there or whatever, but to – just come in and do it like that same night. It's like you're you're just that guy that swagger jacker takes over the the wedding and and uh, gets drunk and ruins it for everyone. You know, um, and here's the thing: and most of them are trying to actually say that that's not what they're doing, but that that in fact is what they're doing. So well, anyway, go ahead. Uh, swagger jacking is is mm-hmm. basically what they're trying to do. The thing about Connor, so I like it when he when he speaks up. Um, I laugh most of the time. But two things that he does that I don't like. One is, man, quit going after people's family. Like just leave them out of it. Mm-hmm. And then two, I I don't know if he's just he's typing all this shit out as fast as he can to get it out as fast as he can, or if he just doesn't give a fuck. But sometimes it's really hard to understand what the hell he's trying to say. I think if he just stopped and went back and read it and went, oh, I didn't mean to put that. I meant this or a comma here and there or something, you know. But at the same time, if if his whole point is I need to get this out quick because that's what I need to do is swagger jack, then okay. But take a second to read it. He doesn't care about commas or anything as long as he looks at it and it makes sense to him. But it doesn't make sense. That's the thing. Is like half of it doesn't make sense to me. He's probably talking in street slang. So I, I, I have knucklehead friends as well. And we talk in slang. And so that's the way they talk. But I'm so used to talking proper because of our editorial team. They've checked me so many times that usually when you get something from me, it has pretty decent grammar, right? But from them, I, I, I get some of the, the movies that we quote, the slang that we grew up with, things like that. And so 
Now think about Conor McGregor, who gives zero Fs what people think. He's just typing fast and getting it out there. Probably drunk, probably partying, you know, um, but it does look like it's his. And, and he's saying he thinks he's got the formula for Makachev and, and the style of fight that the Dagestani fighters have. And I just don't see it versus Habib Nurmagomedov. He did stifle Habib from getting going, at least in the first round. He did win round three against Habib, but he also got knocked down by Habib. He never knocked down Habib. And then when Habib looked like, okay, I think I'm going to really turn it on, he did. He submitted him pretty quick. So, you know, I I didn't see anything in that fight. Um, And then the other guys that have just kind of beaten him since or or beaten him before, uh, you know, against Nate. So, you know, he was – when he didn't think the striking was going his way and he got hurt, he dove in at Nate's legs. When a striker dives in at another striker's legs, you're basically saying, I'm not getting the best of the striking or I'm hurt. I need to get you on the ground. You're telling us something. That's what he was doing there. And then with Poirier, Poirier was just turning it on. I'll give him credit for winning round one of the second fight, if I if I have it right. And But, you know, and the, the fight started to turn. And... You know, he wasn't able to win. And then the last fight, even before he got his leg checked and broken, Poirier was in control of that fight as well. So now Poirier doesn't have the Dagestani type of mentality or or game planning or skill set or whatever. So I don't know why I went down that road. What I'm saying is McGregor just hasn't shown me much for problem solving. Even when he lost Poirier in the second fight, I remember him kind of almost implying, man, if between boxing and me growing into a global superstar, where did these calf kicks come from? When in reality, calf kicks have probably been here for a full decade, and they've really, really mattered in the last five, six years. So for him to not know that kind of caught me off guard. I think uh, he used the wrong wording. It's not that he has the style. He's just – and it's not that he's going to throw a Hail Mary either. He's just a heavy hitter. He but is. really – if you look at a guy like Islam Makachev, it's not that we're pointing at any deficiencies at, on him where somebody's going to take advantage of him. That's not the case. You just have to be better than him that night. You're not going to out-cardio him. Maybe you can outstrike him. You're not going to out-wrestle him. You're probably, if Charles Oliveira's not going to uh, have better ground game uh, than him that night, who the fuck is? You know what I mean? So, like... Really, you just have to be a better fighter and hope you land a good punch on the guy. But yeah, and that's what Connor can do. Definitely. I'll never argue with Connor with that. He's shown us he's got power. He's pretty precise. He rises to the occasion in big game fights. I'll definitely give him that. But it's been a while since he's done that. The only time he kind of did was against Donald Cerrone. But at the same time, Donald Cerrone was in a part of his career where others were doing the same type of thing pretty much just getting by Donald Cerrone and making it look easy. So as Donald Cerrone fought other opposition, it made Connor's win look less impressive, mm-hmm. you know, but getting back to Connor versus Makashev, he just can't jump that cue. It's going to be, looks like Volkanovsky challenging Makashev for Makashev's lightweight title. Volkanovsky's going to attempt to be a champ champ. Makashev is going to, try and defend his title, you know, and and that's pretty much that. Now, if I'm Benil Dariush, what I am doing is getting on that card 
And he, what I do like about Benil Dariush's mode of thinking, you know, he said, I'm not a beggar. You don't have to beg necessarily. I think you just have to plead your case and appeal to fans. The way you do that is pretty much pretty much how he doesn't want to do it. And that's being fake and doing a promo and everything, right? But I don't think you just completely throw in the towel and go, nope, I'm not doing it. You know, what you can do is lay out the facts. Hey, I've won eight in a row. I don't know what else the UFC wants me to do. Um, I fought everyone they've told me, including people ahead of me, people behind me. So in the meantime, I'll just keep smashing people. But why not say at least put me on the same card as this guy? That way, in case he can't go, I'll be there ready to step in. Because if Volkanovski can't go, Darius should be next. Yeah. I think what he needs to do is get in the same room as Dana White. And ask him in front of reporters a simple question, and that's, what is it I have to do? What have I done wrong so far? There's no answer to that. I don't think Dana White can really. And Dana White, I think when he's backed into a corner like that, I think he might go, "Eh, all right, kid, you're next or something. Maybe. Give him something. Dana used to say that Tyron Woodley would text him day and night. And he bugged him so much that I think he probably caved in on on an occasion or two. But what he has to make sure of goes is if he does fight in Perth versus someone else, you know, I don't know who's there, man. There's Fiziev, there's Gagey, but he's friends with Gagey. Um, What he needs to be careful of is Michael Chandler stealing some thunder. Michael Chandler's going to fight Justin Boyer, and Michael Chandler gives great promos. Has a lot of fans, puts on great fights, and somehow Michael Chandler might be able to, if he beats Poirier, get ahead of Benil Dariush. Um, that's what Benil needs to prevent. So mm-hmm. that's why it, it kind of helps to at least stake your claim a little bit. But yeah, yeah, that uh, Poor Benny, man. He's he's fighting off a lot of things, dude. Just just the fact that Volkanovski's going up and taking that spot to me is just a damn shame. But you know, he's got to he's got to fight off Michael Chandler. Um, he had even the possibility of a rematch, right? If that would have been like a barn burner or something, you never know. They could have said, "Hey, man, all right, you're next. We could do this rematch." Or, there's so many things. Conor McGregor can pop out of the woodworks whenever he wants after this Usada thing and. Somehow they'll figure out a way where that makes sense. Like, there are a lot of things in Benil Dariush's way right now. You still got to watch out for Oliveira again because Oliveira is obviously fun. Mm-hmm. And- could get hurt. He could get hurt and delay yeah. things. Like, there's a lot, dude. Yeah. He hadn't fought in over a year. We'll go straight to him and then we'll come back and do the Bantamweights. We might as well stay with the lightweights. I really enjoyed Gamrot versus Dariush. I mean, they made it fun. This is what I said at the watch-along was even on the ground, whether it was hip tosses, takedowns, scrambles, sweeps, it was really fast, explosive, strategic. It was like high-speed human chess. And then when they would stand, that was a lot of fun. But that's how you make – that's how you can make the ground game be just as exciting as the stand-up. Those two did a great job because they were both in great condition – and they were both very, very focused. But Benil at the end just dug a little bit deeper, man. He would not give in to those takedowns. And he was coming with, coming out with many ways to defend them. Sometimes he would kind of roll into leg locks. Other times he would uh, sprawl, you know, 
uh, he would basically sometimes, if he did get put up against the cage, turn into him, maybe grab some wrist control, overhook, underhook. Like it was really, really beautiful to see him throw all of his tools out of his toolbox and keep Gamrot guessing. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was really cool. A credit to him there. And and a credit to Gamrot. He showed us the same way O'Malley showed us. Hey, I'm way I'm I'm a little bit further down at the rankings, but I can bang with the best, you know. So I'm already excited about Gamrot's next fight as well. Credit to his corner as well. Uh Rafael Cordero just man, he gets me fired up when I'm hearing him shout at his fighters and and really just dig into that one thing that you need for a fighter to bring out the best in them. Um, it was a good performance for Benny. Uh, I don't want to say it was great, but it was a really solid performance. And that's what that guy's been giving off. And that's the thing is like, I'm more interested to see that fight. You know, if you match him up with Islam, it's like, all right, let's say Islam takes him down. Benny's jiu-jitsu is pretty legit. That ain't bad. Benny's great on his feet. So wherever that fight goes, it's it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a good fight. Uh, but that's just the problem. You know, you're looking at him. He's just, he's not the type, the type of guy that the UFC likes to promote. You look at Bilal Muhammad, he's just not the type of guy that the UFC really promotes. That's the problem. But they're winning all their fights. Another guy with an eight-fight win streak, Bilal Muhammad, yeah. I think if one thing some fighters should learn is... I don't care how good your ground game off your back is. It's probably not better than Charles Oliveira's. And he really wasn't coming close to anything from the bottom. Open up your guard. Work to get up. Do not stay under a Dagestani fighter because they will start to smash. And once the damage seeps in, your cardio goes down. You become a damaged fighter with less energy. Um, you, you probably start to, to break and doubt yourself or whatever. So when you get taken down, immediately try and get back up. And mm-hmm. when you have an opening, go for that opening. Anytime there's a little bit of hesitation and you see them pull your legs back, that costs you about another 90 seconds of torture. You know what I mean? So yeah. when you're ready to spring up, spring up. Do not go in steps. And if you're going in steps, it's because you haven't trained it enough and not done as many reps. To me, that's what it looked like was Benil Dariush gets a lot of reps in for a lot of the techniques that he has, and that's why he was able to do one to the next, one to the next. He was really, really flowing, you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, I love that about him. Yeah. So, all right, there you have it. Makashev probably next versus Volkanovsky as far as Oliveira. He says he wants to fight soon. I suppose since Poirier and Chandler already booked, and he's already fought Poirier, Chandler, and Gigi. Then I suppose maybe Fiziev. Uh, I, I I don't know who else might be next for uh, Oliveira. Maybe maybe Connor. I don't know. Maybe, that might be fun. I mean, Connor's always talking about going to Brazil, but see the, yeah. again going back to the thing with Connor. Even if Connor gets jumps in the Usada thing today. You can't fight for six months. It sounded like Oliveira. You're right, goes. Maybe was even angling for that card in Rio de Janeiro. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Moving back to the Bantamweight. So this is the co-main event and the featured bout. Aljamain Sterling defeated TJ Dillashaw. So he defended his UFC Bantamweight title. And, uh, P- uh, sorry, Sean O'Malley. I almost said Peter O'Malley, the former Dodgers owner. Sean O'Malley defeated Peter Pietor. Piotr Jan, 
Piltorion. Uh, and by decision, split decision, very, very controversial. Sterling won by TKL. And what are your thoughts on the title fight first? Well, not too much of it played out. You know, with the injury happening so early in that fight, we were just sitting there trying to witness a little bit of a gut check. And then after a while, we were sitting there trying to figure out, well, when are they going to stop this? Because obviously, one guy is just not going to, you know, they put his shoulder back in at the end of round one. And then coming back in, it just happened so quickly again that you just wanted it to be over. You know, you just didn't. I don't know. I actually thought it went on a little bit too long, but uh, we didn't really get to see much of a fight play out. That's not Aljamain Sterling's problem. It's not his fault. Yeah, and then TJ opens up and shares that he injured his shoulder in April. And since April, his shoulder is dislocated 20 times, Mm -hmm. at least 20 times in practice. So I was mixed in emotions with that. I was thinking, well, why'd you take the fight, stupid? Like, I don't think, I don't think that you didn't think that what happened Saturday could happen. You know, this thing's popped out 20 times. However, in defense of TJ, when we were all talking about it, I did tell Goes, maybe he went through a few patches of two weeks, hard training, it never popped out, and he thought, okay, you know, I've been good for stretches. It's not like it's popping out every hour, you know, like 1.05 p.m., Put it back in, 2.05 p.m., put it back in, 3.05 p.m. You know, it's not like it's that bad either. So that's all I can think of is maybe he thought he can get through it. You know what I mean? But as soon mm-hmm. as it happened, goes, I was thinking, oh, man, bummer. Damn. Because I was thinking of the Pico fight, right? And then I see that he's getting close to surviving. And then there's the countdown. 10, 9, 8. Boom. He makes it to the end. Then I remember we all said, okay. Let's hope he's not getting jerked around his arm, you know, like Brandon Gibson was there in Pico. <laughs> Hopefully they learned a little bit how to do it. And sure enough, they're kind of rubbing it, massaging it. And then, then it looked like there was this click, boom. He goes in, he says it's in. And I felt like I heard, Daniel LaRusso's going to fight. Daniel LaRusso's going to fight. You know, so I was mm-hmm. really, really pumped for that second round, thinking, hey, there's still time here, you know. I was in, I was also thinking in my head, did, did Aljo get a 10-8? Is it only a 10-9? Can TJ, TJ Dillashaw come back? What's going to happen? And as, as that's happening, boom, the shoulder goes out again. la chingada. You know, I remember going, fuck. So right away, it went from, you know, a garbage first round, like huge anticipation, then a garbage first round, then the Johnny, the, the uh, John Daniel LaRusso is going to fight moment. And then all of a sudden, back to it being a garbage fight that just needed to be stopped. Then TJ Dillashaw is when he told us, you know, the injury, when it happened, sorry for holding up the division. And I was just mixed in my emotions, trying to think it through. On the one hand, maybe he's thinking, if I, you know, I've, I've, I've gone through some sparring sessions and this hasn't happened. If I can win a title, I'll get the shoulder fixed afterwards. Uh, on the other hand, I'm thinking, you just fucked up some of my parlays. <laughs> you take the mm-hmm. fight. Like I was, I was really, really a confused mf'er, trying to figure out how to feel about it all. Um, what he could have done. Here's what I know: when he was suspended for two years, he said 
I'm going to get my two shoulders fixed. They've been messed up for years, and this will give me a chance to do it. First, he did one. Then he did the other. He posted on social media himself in slings. And if you know TJ Dillashaw, the guy probably didn't miss any physical therapy. And I thought he's come back 100, right? Then he hurts his knee in the Sanhagen fight. All right. Okay, well, maybe that's just him getting older. Or who knows what? Now this, dude, it's like, oh, bro, boy, I don't know. I don't know how to feel. Um, but, yeah, that ain't, none of that's Sterling's fault. Well, I felt pretty pissed. Even if he came out in round two with the shoulder back in, we can't, uh, we can't pretend like he didn't get the shit beat out of him for a whole round. Like, he's not coming in 100% in round two. So... I didn't feel like we were going to get like a fair fight afterwards. I don't know. It was just all a mess. But all I can think of is like, why did he say it? Why? I know. That was the other thing. Just keep that to yourself. You know, he, he told Mark Goddard, hey, if it pops out, don't worry. This has happened before. We'll pop it back in. Um, I doubt the UFC knew. Maybe they did. I don't know. Somehow he snuck it by the commission, but you know, what's the test? What's the test that they do when they give you your physical or your medical or whatever it's called? I doubt they're really saying, Hey, throw a hundred miles an hour, you know, or throw this football. I don't think they're really checking every limb of your body to see that it's firing at a hundred. So I don't know that there's anything anyone could have done other than TJ. If it was after maybe like the third time it popped out, when it originally happened in April, if he just would have said, uh-uh, I, I can't have this happen in a title fight. I got to get this addressed. And hopefully when I get back, get a title fight. But see, this is where I can go off in tangents. Some people are going, he did it for money, stupid, right? And then I'm thinking, okay, so then are you telling me that someone that's been a champion a few times, has had his fair share of cut pay-per-view cuts, still can blast through a few million and needs this check? Oh, well, back to fighter pay. Let's talk about fighter pay again. You know, like maybe it's not like the like like how Dana likes to say, "Oh, he's a champ. He's set for life." You know, maybe these guys aren't set for life because when you make a lot, you also spend a lot, and so therefore you needed that check. <sighs> you know, when Kevin Durant got signed by the uh, new new the Brooklyn Nets, they signed him having just either torn his Achilles or his ACL. I think it was the Achilles. Achilles. But, and so for they knew that the four-year deal, the six-year deal, whatever the deal was, that they knew that for one year they were going to pay him to just rehab. He wasn't even going to play that year, right? But they believed so much in his talent, they made him comfortable enough to know, just get healthy, kid. We're planning on the year after with you. So with TJ, did he not feel that level of comfort of, if I go do this and I come back, will I have been passed up? You know, do I really need this paycheck now? I don't know. That's something we would have to do, you know, TJ in studio talk about for a few hours and just kind of cover all the corners. This is me just trying to speculate, right? Why didn't you just get the surgery, I guess, or, or, or try and get stem cells? I don't know. Whatever it takes to maybe do it. Or maybe he just knew it ain't going to get better. A lot of people are saying from what they heard from him post-fight, that it sounds like he may even be done. And maybe this was the final check. You know what I mean? And and that was that. So if it was, then I guess. But what a terrible way to go out. Well, I think 
I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's pretty clear. He did it for the money. But my issue, I can understand that. My issue is why tell everyone about it? You can do everything you just did and not tell everyone about it. And guess what we're going to talk about? Man, TJ Dillashaw really got, that yeah. was a real gut performance, right? He mm-hmm. tried his hardest. He fought a whole round with his shoulder dislocated. Got it popped back in. Came back, tried, but he just it just didn't work out. All he had to do is keep his mouth shut. So now what happens, right? We all go, oh, all that money we paid, man, we feel ripped off. This guy knew the whole time. What a what a scumbag. I can't believe the commission let him do that. I can't believe the UFC doesn't have better tests for that type of stuff. Uh, imagine, you know, just what a week ago they're saying, all right, fighters, you can't you can't uh, bet on yourself or you can't bet at all, whether it's another fight or whatever, or even on yourself. Boy, that it's kind of convenient now, right? When you think about it, like that couldn't have come at a dumber time. Um, that almost makes you think like they knew that he had this problem or something. But now think about your your parlay. That's your hard earned money that you put in on a fighter, thinking he was a hundred percent. And now look, like how much more pissed off are you because he said those words? I it wish you would have waited. Stupid. Like DC, didn't DC wait about five years to finally go? Hey, as they're putting that Hall of Fame jacket, I got something to tell you all. All right, I grabbed the towel in Buffalo. Five yeah. years later, we're all laughing. The career's over, you know. Um, that's that. But you're right, goes. I don't think I needed to hear that that night. You know what I mean? Like I, I was actually like you said, going, "Fuck, man, that's a tough, that's a tough hombre." You know, he. Uh, a lot of people would have quit right away. Instead, he fought valiantly and. Blah blah blah, and now now I don't know what to feel because I like to think it through and cover all the bases, listen to other experts, and see you know. But but that night I I felt empty and robbed a little bit. Yeah. Um, and guess what? Hmm. TJ Dillashaw, or sorry, uh, Aljamain Sterling just defended his belt. But what are we talking about? TJ Dillashaw, mm-hmm. right? He didn't even really get a chance. Like, I mean, that was a great performance, but he did it against a one-armed guy. You know what I mean? Like, that that's just uh, unfortunate for him again. Yeah. Because his last three fights are win by disqualification. Okay, then you beat Peter Yan after holding up the... So if I wanted to be a hater, I would tell Sterling, oh, bitch, you won by disqualification. You were getting your ass kicked. Then you held up the whole division for a year because you backed out of a fight because you're knackered. And then when you came back, okay, you got him, you caught him off guard, but you know the way that fight was progressing. If it was to the death, he would have got you. And then in this one, you beat a guy with one arm. I could beat a guy with one arm. So that's me, obviously, in hater mode, right? But that's not how I feel. Sterling did what is in front of him. Um, I think probably everything he did, I probably would have done. Imagine if I had won the title the way I won it. I still have the belt. I'm still technically the champion. Am I never supposed to wear it? Am I never supposed to take a picture? Maybe some are saying, did you have to do it that night? But if I come home from the hospital and all of you are like, hey, trying to cheer me up, and you want to take a pic, or mom and dad, or Jules, or something like that, and big deal, man. I thought he was treated so unfair. And yeah, it took a year, but he was 100, and when he was 100, he beat Peter, Jan, fair and square. You got to tip your hat to that. And then as far as this fight goes, Hey, he showed up, you know, like, and, and it wasn't, he, he didn't, you know, he, now he's trying to say though on social media that he may have contributed to it, maybe, but I don't know. Um, I have no problems with Aljamain Sterling. 
he's got a division that he needs to worry about, so I hope he doesn't even think about Volkanovski or anything like that. These fighters start thinking about that a little too early, in my opinion, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now the the hard part, most of the hard part's already done, though. Really, when you think about the guys he's faced in TJ and Jan, or uh, sorry, TJ and Jan, like that's as tough as it gets. After that, yeah, there's good fighters, and yeah, they're they're tough uh, challenges. But I would favor Aljamain Sterling in a lot of those fights. And who are those guys? Marlon what? Vera, Sean O'Malley, um, Corey Sanhagen, who we already beat on his road to the title. Mm-hmm. But he's looked better since then. So I would say those are the three that stand up. Marlon Vera has every right to go, hold on a second. I beat O'Malley. Why'd you even bring up O'Malley? And Corey Sanhagen has every right to say, well, I've been banging with the top five for the last couple of years. You guys have really, really yet to do that, except for Sean O'Malley, who just did it and won by split. Cheeto Vera caught Dominic Cruz towards the tail end, but respect, he won that. But if I'm Corey Sanhagen, you know, I'm obviously trying to posture that way. But Corey Sanhagen, he's another guy that doesn't like to go down that road. He just, like, whatever, wherever the chips fall, he just goes for it. But yeah. Sean O'Malley, I, it, it, keeping it real, how's it not going to be him as popular as he is? You know, the way this was, like you said, planned, planned out a little bit by the matchmakers. Um, Dana saying that if he can beat Peter Yan. You know, he's going to have a, a astronomical type of popularity. And then, of course, from Sterling's end, he probably wants pay-per-view cuts. So why wouldn't he lean into O'Malley, right? Dude, that's the fight. I'm sorry. There will not be a- another fight for Sean O'Malley. I know he said that bullshit about he's got to go back and watch the fight and all that. And, yeah, I believe that he believes that in his head. But there ain't any chance that the UFC is going to give him any other fight other than that fight. They want him to fight for the title. They probably want him to do it in Vegas or something. But they probably want him want him to be uh, attached to a bigger name, too, on a card. Um, but that, that that's going to happen. And I guess we might as well talk about that fight, right? The, the Yon fight? Because it really shouldn't be uh, O'Malley in that fight. I thought y'all that's were. my opinion. That's my opinion. I've now watched the fight two times. The first time I thought, for sure, Jan. Uh, watching it the second time, maybe a little closer than I thought, but still felt very comfortable saying Jan won that fight. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Um, they're not obviously going to do anything about that. O'Malley won. The judges awarded him the decision. I understand Jan's team being pissed off. I really do. Jan, had he won, wasn't going to fight Aljo again, in my opinion. I just don't think how they would match those guys up right away. So either way, either way Jan was going to have to beat a few other people. So I don't think Jan should get too caught up in this. That's not to say that they're going to treat it as a win. But they're not definitely not going to treat it as a loss that just makes them tumble down the standings or anything like that, the rankings. So what Jan needs to do is just focus on whoever's next fight's going to be, which I think probably makes sense as Cheeto Vera and have O'Malley fight Aljamain Sterling and do it on the same card. I always say do it on the same card. Be ready to pounce in case they're not ready to go, just like Benil was there. Because if, if Volkanovski wouldn't have flown across the world, 
but Newell's ready to step in in case one of the other two couldn't go. So yeah. I love that security as a fan. They said that a lot of Americans went to Abu Dhabi. I would love to go to Abu Dhabi and know that my main event is safe because there's someone else from that card also there. It's also fun when they go, hey, Benil, uh, Oliver was just here, you know, or Islam was just here. React to what he just said and back and forth. And it just keeps everything so fresh, you know, like because of what's happening. Like there's this huge spotlight on the division. So I, I just think that, that that's always got to be the way. This division is nuts. But the way it's unfolding, it's unfolding in a way that I feel is advantageous for Aljamain Sterling. I think he has the potential to reign, maybe not for a really long time, but at least a couple more fights. He definitely has that in him. Yeah, because his um, kryptonite is Peter Young. Mm-hmm. And everyone else, I think he has the ability to kind of take off their feet pretty easily. Vera, O'Malley, um, Sanhagen, which he already did. And even though Peter Yan, Piotr Yan, is not some noted wrestler, the dude's got some wrestling takedown defense. So he's gotten past his kryptonite. Now, he's going to have to face his kryptonite one more time, especially if Peter Young wins the next couple fights. Like I said, I don't think they're going to hold this one against him too much. But I see Adeljermaine Sterling versus Sean O'Malley probably in either March or April here in Las Vegas. I don't think they'll headline. I, I have to see. I have to see how big O'Malley has really, really gotten. But I see the Vegas show being headlined by... Nganu and Jones, and I could see these guys being like a co-main event. That would be a really, really super right. card. I think that's what, what would probably happen. Yeah. And then again, Vera versus Hutorian. Uh, maybe that can headline a fight night somewhere around that time or the same show. I don't know. But there you have it. How about Bilal Muhammad against Sean Brady? Bilal Muhammad gave Sean Brady his first loss after 15 fights. So he's now 15 and one. So maybe 16 fights early on. It wasn't going good for him. Brady had heavy hands, fast hands. He looked good. Nice technique, nice boxing. He can wrestle too. Right. And Bilal was taking a lot of them every once in a while. He'd punch back, but he was patient looking for his openings. But I thought, Ooh, do not do what you did in round one, or this guy's going to get round two and your back's going to be to the wall. And, and Bilal's just not really much of a finisher, mm-hmm. but instead Bilal started turning it up in round two which means he learned from previous fights. He's evolved. He's listening to his coaches. And he started fighting in you know, punches in bunches. And then all of a sudden, Sean Brady lost a little bit of his steam. He was just getting hit too much. And Bilal Muhammad gets the finish. Big, big win for Bilal Muhammad. Tremendous. On such a huge stage, fighting against someone who's behind him in the rankings, which... Do most fighters do that after fighting, you know, Vicente Luque? No, not really. You know what I mean? So to fight back in this, against someone that's pretty dangerous, hopefully this nets him something. But where is he? You got Leon Edwards versus Kamara Usman, probably in either March or April. One of those shoes is going to be in England. The other one's going to be in Vegas. So after that, is Bilal the winner versus the winner of that? I don't know because Hamza Shemaya is pretty popular. 
Yeah, so, that's going to dictate but, a lot. But are they going to make Hamza Shemayev go up to middleweight? That's the question. Remember, he fucked up, right? Because uh-huh. he beat Gilbert Burns. Okay, you got next, kid. You proved it. But then he screws up against Nate. Yeah, he's got to go to middleweight. You know, the matchmakers are arguing over. Dana doesn't know what to do. So, I don't know. Um, Hamza, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Hamza. He probably didn't help himself by starting a scuffle over there. Um, that's never a good look, you know. But even though he's him and and, and his adversary, this time Abubakar and Armagomedov, they're all good. They made peace. Still don't think the UFC likes to have those types of problems on their on their shows. You know, they they like some thuggery, but not consistently and not consistently for one guy. Yeah, dude, I don't know, man. Bala Muhammad, I thought his goose was cooked early on in that fight, but he proved a lot. He showed a lot of composure. I mean, that's a tough fight. He got that win. Is he uh is he title worthy? I mean, his record shows it, right? If you look at the skins on his wall, they're pretty decent. They're good names. Uh, Colby Covington and Hamzat Shemaev, though, I feel like is the fight that's going to be made. And that's just going to really put him in a really, really tough spot. You know, because we all know Usman is next. And that's got to play out. And then you would imagine if Hamzat wins, or actually, really, it, it would depend. You know, if Leon Edwards is still champ, then that opens the door for Colby Covington again, right? So a lot can really, really happen, but I don't think any of it's going to be uh, beneficial for Bilal Muhammad right now. Yeah. Well, think about the tunnels, the tunnel system on this one. You got Edwards versus Usman. If Edwards wins, he probably has to fight the winner of Shemaev and Covington. If they give Shemaev another chance to fight at 170, and if they match him up against Covington, so that's a tough matchup. But let's say he gets past them, then it's Edwards versus Shemaev. I find I find it hard to be that it won't be that. If Covington wins over Shemaev, it may be Covington versus Edwards. This is this is just if Edwards win. I'm gonna attack Edwards first. But there's a wild card here. I know Jorge Masvidal has lost three in a row, but supposedly he sells the second most amount of pay per views. What if Edwards wants to push for that? Three-piece in a soda. I got to get mines back, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And if it's lucrative for the UFC, would they would they pursue it? I don't know. I think that's a little bit more of a long shot. I think Jorge probably needs a win, and then maybe he can slip in there. Um, and then, of course, if Usman wins and Covington wins, I don't think Covington gets a third shot just yet. No. And then Masvidal, he's had his two shots against Usman. So it's it'd probably be better if Hamzat and Usman won because then that could that fight would then make sense, right? But did you notice none of it really uh, involves Bilal Muhammad? That's the problem. I so have Bilal one. Muhammad's best thing is to probably just put on his Benil Dariush blinders and just say, "Just give me who's next. We'll make sure I'm on that card. I want to be insurance on that card." And just give me someone else who's next because I I just don't see him as as next or even the guy after that. I have an avenue for him. What's that? Covington and Hamzat get signed. All right. However, Hamzat misses weight. They still (laughs) do the fight. Hamzat wins, but you can't give Hamzat a title shot after not making weight 
two times. So now what are you going to do? Now you give it to Bilal Muhammad. That's the right. only way I think it can happen. Or Covington and Usman win, and Dana doesn't want to do part three, and Bilal's sitting there without an opponent. Because if you've gotten rid, Covington's gotten rid of Shemaev, then you know. Um, mm-hmm. And now three piece in Minnesota doesn't come into play because that's with Edwards, not Usman. So if Usman wins, yeah, there might be a route there with Bilal Muhammad. Um, here's another thing: if you really want to have fun, what if Pajeda beats Izzy? Then Usman would want to explore moving up, but I think that's more of when he was kind of clearing out the vision and kind of getting up, mm-hmm. kind of getting bored. Now that he's no longer champ, he'd probably have to fight Edwards and probably defend again before he could go. Now I want greatness and I want to move on because he felt like Izzy is a fellow Nigerian. I don't want to do that. Whereas Alex Pajeda, that might be different. Now that said, I'm sure if Izzy lost, he'd probably want to run it back pretty quick and he'd probably get that privilege because. He's defended five times. Izzy says six because he counts the uh, interim, right? right? Which brings me to Paulo Costa and Robert Whitaker. That was announced over the weekend. What does the winner really get? Both guys have lost to Izzy. Whitaker's lost twice to him. It's a hell of a fight. I can't wait for it. But does the winner really get a shot? I don't know. They really need Pajeda to win those two. Yeah, that's kind of a shit show, man, when you when you really look at it. But the fight itself is going to be a lot of fun. I don't know what to think with Paulo Costa, dude. Like, he just looks so great in that last fight. But not that long ago, we saw him have issues in fights. So, like, I really don't know what to think. But Robert Whitaker's just kind of shown that everybody else, he's got him. It's just the champ that he, he can't really find an avenue for success against him. But, I don't know, Costa's tough. I think this will be a fun fight. It is kind of nice, though, to jump around and look at all the different possibilities that is out there. Um, even though it's confusing to go down these rabbit holes, you know, it's fun. And I don't think nothing we said or anything we said was unrealistic. All of it could happen. I think Goes was pushing the envelope a little bit with, well, what if Covington wins? <laughs> but Shemaya misses weight again. That's a real catastrophe. But I guess once you miss one. No, no. It's what if Shemaev misses weight, they still do the fight, and he wins. If he wins, you can't give him a title shot missing weight the last two times. Right. right? Not to mention, he's got to make championship weight. So that's the only way where I think Bilal could slip in there. Yeah. I'm happy for Bilal, though, man. To get the finish, fighting someone behind him, kind of hooked up with the new team. And guess what? He didn't do it without sabotaging his old team you know his real good friend and coach lewis taylor was there with him um and habib was in his corner and and so i I thought it was awesome like it looked like he did it all right at least from what i can tell yeah Uh, maybe his other teammates or coaches feel different i don't know but it, it can't be easy when someone leaves the gym maybe it was just for the camp i don't know but when they leave and they have success you just you 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 have to wonder if I had a gym goes and one of my fighters left to go to another gym and he looked better than ever. I'd have to think like, man, you know, do I have to tighten my ship up a little bit here? Like what's going on? Why weren't we able to get finishes when he was here? And all of a sudden he goes out and gets a finish. I'd be second guessing myself, but that's why I'm not in that game. Um, Here's the rest of the card. And then we'll jump around and pick a few more fights before we get on out of here. Well, first let me get, uh, let me get this out of the way. One on Prime Video 3 had a fight card. So that's one championship. Obviously, you know they're on Prime Video. 
And their main event of John Lineker versus Fabricio D'Andrade was just a mess from the beginning. So this was for Lineker's Bantamweight title, except over there, they don't have to make 135. They just have to be hydrated 145. He didn't even do that. He couldn't do that. So he got stripped before the fight even happened. Then once the fight happened, it ended in a no contest, an accidental groin strike. And I think he's also got a an orbital bone or an eye injury of some sort. So him flying back to Brazil is a mess because he goes home with no title. There is a no contest. Okay. But, uh, you know, the eye injury, he lost 20% of his purse. Like, what a joke of a trip for that guy. Yeah, that's a mess, dude. I wouldn't even know where to begin with that. But I mean, what do you what do you do with one championship like that? That was a big signing. If you can't trust that guy to make weight, like that's that's a huge part of all this, man. And on top of that, he's given all these avenues to make it so much easier, and he still can't do it. Yeah, because folks, he used to train, he used to compete as a flyweight in the UFC. That means you need to make one twenty five. Couldn't do it. He did it a few times, but most of the time he couldn't do it. So he moved up to 35. But guess what? He was winning some fights at 135. Shit. Okay. Well, maybe this is his spot. He's heavy-handed. He does well. But he had some problems there, too. So then he went to one championship. So he couldn't make 25. He had problems with 35. And now he couldn't make 45? Like, seriously. At some point, you really have to take a look in the mirror and go, what? what is this? Like, who am I? You know what I mean? Um... Manon Firon defeated Kaylin Chukagan. This was the first fight of the pay-per-view. These are flyweights. Firon got the decision win. It was unanimous. So she's kind of in the same spot, I think, as Alexa Grasso, both undefeated in the UFC at the flyweight division. And I know some people will go, well, match them two up because Valentina's got Talia Santos. Yeah. We don't like to pick off contenders, though. So I would say if she's not going to fight Santos in the rematch, especially with that Brazil card coming up. And speaking of orbital bones, she heard hers, Santos did. However, when she consulted a few more doctors, this is from me reading some stories over the weekend, they said she didn't need to do it. So she bypassed getting that surgery. So I, from what I heard, she's training again. I think that fight could be made for them to fight in Brazil. And Valentina's a road warrior. I could see her going to Brazil and doing it. Um, but we still haven't heard that, so that's just me speculating. But if they are going to run back Santos and Valentina, then that leaves Fioron and Grasso out there to maybe match up, or maybe you want to match those two up against two other flyweights and just see who kind of comes out of it and who looks best. Uh, I'm open to that as well. Question is, you know, who would you match them up against? Um, well, there's Casey O'Neill, but Casey O'Neill, I thought I heard she had torn her ACL and, but I, you know, if you follow her on social media, I I don't think I've seen anything about a surgery or, or rehab or anything like that. So maybe it wasn't a full tear, who knows, but she is undefeated. Uh, she's a name. And then of course, Lauren Murphy is fighting Jessica Andrade in January in Brazil. And even though both have lost to Valentina, I think the winner could serve for one and O'Neill could serve for the other if you want to keep them separate, meaning Fioran and Grasso. I think they're going to keep them separate. Um, that's the thing is like, I don't know if either one wants Valentina. Uh, they're certainly not talking like they do. So 
I think they'll they'll keep them separate separate because you, you want to have challenges for her. And right behind them, you also have Cortez and Molly, Meatball Molly. And both of them have fights lined up. Meatball Molly has Aaron Blanchfield in New York, UFC 281. And Tracy Cortez has Amanda Hibas. Um, and that one is December 3rd. So options, 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 good stuff. I like it. The rest of the card went as follows. Uh, on the featured prelims, starting the night off, Carol Rosa defeated Lena Landsberg. Those are Bantamweights. Mohamed Mokayev defeated Malcolm Gordon. Flyweights. Armin Petrosian defeated AJ Dobson. Middleweights. Abubakar Nurmagomedov defeated Gadzi Omar Gadziev. Welterweights. Nikita Krylov defeated Volkan Ozdemir. Light heavyweights. Kyle Borajo defeated Mahmoud Muradov, middleweights. So that, along with the Bilal Muhammad and Sean Brady fight, was your prelims. And uh, they made it pretty enjoyable. A few of those fights were some really, really good scraps. The crowd was into it. Hasbula made an appearance. Eric Nixick, John Orlando. The watch along was a blast. Did you like the morning afternoon ones, or did you come home feeling like, now what do I do? I can't. I haven't figured it out yet. I keep getting this question, and I don't know how to answer it. Uh, I mean, there was the, a nice feeling of coming home and uh, and not uh, not having anything work related left. You know, you still had a lot of time left in your day, but uh, yeah, I think I did like it. Would you want it? To, would you want it to be the norm? Nine a.m. Yeah. I don't think nah, I would. No, nah, no, nah, I don't. It's, I kind of like the Saturday buildup as you start to get to the end. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, so I don't despise it. I'll do it once a year. Sure. If you got to do it twice a year, okay. I'm in. But I wouldn't want to do it all the time. And I'm talking about a pay-per-view with the watch along. I prefer the night buildup, you know, as we get there. Because it messes up the whole week, you know, like, oh, yeah, uh, Thursday night at 10 a.m. is the actual, their Friday ceremonials. Like, you're so thrown off, you know, with what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I like waking up on a Friday and saying, okay, here it comes. Is everyone going to make weight? Are the title fights, fights preserved, you know? I, I like that. So, sure, once a year, okay, twice if we got to do it, but. I, I remember driving home and going, hmm, uh, I'm going to run some errands. Like, <laughs> the day was still in front of me. Like, I still had plenty of day in front of me. Yeah. The bonuses, just to wrap up here, they went to um, Oliveira and Makashev. So, Makashev got a performance. Jan and O'Malley, they got fight of the night. And Mohammed. Bilal Muhammad, he got a performance of the night. See, I thought Brady and Muhammad could possibly be a fight of the night, but a lot of times when you finish, and I think that one finished, was it in the second round? That was, yeah. To me, that was, uh, it's close, man, but that, that could have been fight of the night as well. And if you recall, Ozdemir was putting it on Krylov, and then Krylov flipped the script. <laughs> so, you know, there could have been maybe an argument there as well. I don't know. Um, I, you know, I, nothing. Nothing felt like 
anything you want to, you know, picket or anything like that. Like, I don't want to go to the UFC offices and picket until it made, until they make things right. No, nothing like that. This they made the decision. Okay, cool, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, folks, again, thank you so much for tuning into the watch along on Saturday. It was a blast, and we got spinning back click live. So if you happen to catch this in time, or if not for the following Mondays, catch Spinning Back Click live Mondays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. That's our YouTube channel, and you can check out me and Goes and a few of our panelists from the MMA Junkie family. This week it'll be Mike Bond and Nolan King. We will be discussing all the latest news, reacting to UFC 280, and, uh, you know, touching on some other topics, maybe rapid fire stuff, challenging each other and, you know, uh, just basically having good discussion over the stuff that pops here in our sport. Um, anyway, with that, it's been a long week, so we're going to exit. Hope you all have a nice weekend, whatever's left of it. And we'll see you all on Thursday for Thursday show. But don't forget spinning back click. All right, folks, we're out of here. Go out and be a champion. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.